0: get hooked and you read one book and you read a second book and you're like, this is really possible. And you, you can see that you get your time back with the multifamily space. It's just a different level of engagement that's needed. It's more of a team sport instead of you doing everything on your own and being your own handyman.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast, Passive Investing Edition. Uh, We have got an amazing show for you guys here today. I've got a very good friend of mine, Dwayne Winkle, with us. Uh, Dwayne, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have the conversation today.
1: Awesome. Glad to have you here. Um, just for the audience sake, uh, Dwayne is actually the founder of Winkle Capital. He is getting ready to launch a new podcast, which is called BAMF Podcast, which I'll let him explain what that stands for. Um, but yeah, just really excited to have you on the show. And Dwayne, I'm wondering, can you kind of just kick us off and give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you found this multifamily and passive investing space.
0: Of course, yeah. Like many people, I have a W2 job and I work in the technology sector. I work for a Fortune 500 company in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was always looking to branch out, learn about real estate, understand how to go about it. And initially, like many people do, I started with the single families. We were living in them, fixing and flipping them ourselves and really wanted to figure out how to scale. Because you can only live in one of them at a time and kind of go through that process. It's a little more arduous and there are lots of moving parts. So we found the multifamily space. There are a lot of mentors in this area. And once I finally had that moment where I learned what multifamily was and how it worked, I was sold. 100% bought in and would love to dig into that a little later. But it's been a great journey so far, yeah.
1: Are you interested in real estate investing but don't know where to get started or think you don't have the time or money? Are you stuck in your W-2 because the golden handcuffs make it hard to walk away? If this sounds like you, check out impactequity.net and schedule some time to talk with the founder, Randy Smith. Randy went from massive income to leaving his W-2 through passive income, and he can help you do the same. www.impactequity.net i love it yeah so it's it's a common journey we hear so many people go through w2 hey i think i'm going to get into real estate and you know let's start in single family because that's easy clearly it must be easier than multifamily because it's only one door and then we find out really quickly that um, one door creates minimal returns with a lot of work and it's quite often even even easier to go bigger faster so I'm curious, can we talk a little bit, though, about those single families that you did? Because a lot of people are in that space. Was it a positive experience for you, or was it? did you have any challenges?
0: Yeah, it was a positive experience overall. It just takes a lot of time. I think the time commitment to it, we were underestimated. And I can tell you right now, my wife did not like not having a kitchen for a month and a half, grouting floors painting all the extra work we're really involved with with it immensely while you're in it you're living in a construction zone for a year because it doesn't happen really quick because we needed to move our things from the master bedroom to the extra bedroom as you're renovating and it's hard to have construction crews in because you're living in it so there was a lot it was a lot slower process than we had anticipated the first couple but like you said, it was easier to get into because you have, you know, you have to put less down. It's, you know, a single family loan for residential purposes. But we we quickly realized we could live in a, an apartment complex and we started to do those a little faster. We got construction crews, but then it's hard to go and check on the construction crew and make sure they pulled the right permits and all of that. We learned the hard way a lot of times and and that's hard in that space
1: yeah okay so you guys were actually um you were buying the ugly house on the street living in the ugly house on the street while you fixed it up and 100%. then did you sell like every one to two years is that what you were doing or
0: we would try and tell them as quickly as possible so we weren't waiting the full year on those and we were just trying to rinse and repeat as quickly as possible but then you have to move into multiple houses so that's a weekend Right. And then by the time you get the construction crew and you're started doing demo the next week or the next month trying to do that and then having the different loans for the single family, you know, multiple times and moving through that process can be quite a hassle. It was a little more than we had anticipated, like I said. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's interesting. I, back in my days when I was uh, working with a lot of small businesses, I had the opportunity to fly to vegas and i worked with a lot of construction folks in that space and there was a strategy that i saw a lot of folks do where they would they would build a custom home and they would live in that custom home while they were building their next custom home and then they would move into that one while they were building their next one and it was kind of a similar process to what you were doing there but you know every call it 18 months or so they would upgrade in home and they would be paying cash essentially for those because they're also selling on the back end as well. So, yeah, you did kind of a hybrid of that where you got to live in the trenches, which I'm sure made for a lot of fun Fridays and Saturdays and um, lunch breaks and all of that from your W-2, I suspect.
0: All the time. Yeah, it it was quite a headache to be living in your construction zone and all the things associated with that, you know, noises going around in the background and making sure you're checking on your contractors. It took a lot of our time. It was, I'm surprised how much compared to now that we're in the multifamily space and how just the difference of having professional property management kind of walk through that process. And you don't have to be as involved hands-on because you're doing other aspects of the business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit then. So you did, how many singles did you do before you? Uh, We did about 12. Did you really? Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. So you did quite a few there. Yeah. what did that first, uh, that first experience with multifamily look like? Did you, were you one of these guys that found a, a mentorship right away or did you start to dip your toe in it and go from there? What did that look like?
0: Yeah, we actually found a group out of Texas and we did, a. Uh kp deal with them so we were able to partner with them and help out with certain aspects of the deal and kind of watch the process from afar because i live in arizona and we were passively invested in that so we started with the passive investment first because we wanted to understand the process and learn the steps and really work with somebody that was really a a expert in the space to start out with and that was that was super beneficial because we got to see what they're doing, how they're going about it, what they're upgrading. And then we we realized quickly, we're like, oh, it's not flipping apartments, but it's similar, right? You go in and you make a nicer unit like we would the kitchens or bathrooms of a master. So the skill sets and the understanding of all the construction processes are very similar. Just like you mentioned, it's a, it's a larger scale that was able to go faster.
1: And, and you're actually dealing with people that are experts in their trade. You're not dealing necessarily with handyman that's trying to do everything you're dealing with plumbers, electricians, flooring people, expert drywall people, expert painters, those types of things, right?
0: Exactly, yeah. Somebody that actually knows what's going on and can sure. address the issue if there are any and where's able to take care of it in a in a really easy fashion for them. Yep
1: got it okay so now you mentioned a term you said you were a kp on that first investment so for the listeners who might not know what that is can you kind of walk through what a kp is
0: yeah uh kp is a key principle so what that typically means is somebody that's bringing a significant amount of capital to a project and can sign on the loan so it's somebody that's actually backing the loan and can help the main sponsorship team, if they don't have the credibility or net worth required to get to that limit for what the bank or what their loan might need. So we were able to help out in that fashion for them.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So you, you got maybe a little bit more, um, you got to be a little bit more involved with that, um, investment than you might have if you were just an LP in an investment. So, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Because it is a very different experience from, from my understanding being a KP
0: in an LP. It is, yeah, the KP is really responsible and signs on the loan itself. And if you're a limited partner and you just wanna be like a normal investor, what that means is you're a partner in the deal overall and you buy into the syndication at large. So it's a difference of like how much ownership and risk you're taking on the deal. From a LP standpoint, there's a lot less risk because your capital is only the piece that is risk, and not everything for your credibility as far as like the loan terms go. So you're you have to as part of the KP process, depending on the guarantor, or the bank, you have to have certain pieces of your net worth that are liquid at all times. Where they don't look at that from an LP standpoint. LP, a passive investment is exactly that. Give somebody the money. You hope you work with them. You see their business plan and you agree to that business plan and you're kind of hands off at that point you let them run the overall project got it
1: and so as a kp you have much more risk because if the deal were to go south then you're you're also signed on the loan so you're personally liable for Correct. that debt as well okay yep. but i suspect with the added risk that you're taking the upside is probably significantly better as well so can you talk about that a little bit or or is it i guess
0: there is yeah you have more potential there and every deal is a unique in its own way and you can negotiate those terms depending on if you need key principles or not and if you are you can negotiate what that percentage of the overall deal is some some deals are a 70 30 split where the Principals or the general partners would take 30% and then you can negotiate a percentage of that depending on how much net worth and liquidity you're bringing to the table and what they need for that. So you have a different portion of the shares of the company. Got
1: it. Okay. And and I'm curious too, I, I believe there's some specifics around say you're buying a, a $10 million apartment complex, you're getting a loan just for easy math, call it 7 million. Um, mm-hmm. My understanding is that you have to have um, net worth amongst your KPs or those people signing on the loan equal to, I believe, the the
0: that's correct loan
1: amount. Is that correct? Okay,
0: that's correct. Yeah, you need to make sure that you can cover the loan amount. So the and it's from a net worth standpoint, it doesn't have to be particularly liquid. So it could be other real estate holdings that equal that net worth. So that's just the differentiator there. Sometimes the bank actually requires on top of that, some liquidity requirements as well, just in case the reserves that you might have on the property won't cover an issue. Got it.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting space. I've, I've looked into that myself. I've had a a number of different conversations with folks. The challenge that I've run into is that generally the partners that are looking for additional KP's, don't have the track record that I personally like to see before I invest in the deals. So um, you you have a, quite a bit more risk, in my opinion. But if you know these folks and you've you're part of a community where you know that other people know I like, can trust these folks, then you can have the confidence that your dollars and and I guess your credit or your liability is in good hands with these operators.
0: That's that's also true. I- as with anything, there's real estate's not a low risk situation. You know, there is risk with any investment and we like to make sure that we mitigate that. So by being on the team, having a little bit more control, we felt comfortable with that because of some of the other you know real estate transactions that we had done. We were really familiar with the investing space.
1: Well, let's let's kind of go from there so you had your uh kp experience has that deal gone full cycle yet or is that still it
0: has actually that was a quicker one we only held that for 24 months so that was a pretty quick turn and really exciting that's our first taste of a full cycle deal and we were like i think we're hooked so at this point we have gone into the we still invest passively because it's helpful to roll some of those funds over and use our investment our, our retirement funds for investing as well so we solo direct some of that, but now we're moving into the active space more and more, where we're finding partners and we're co GPS on deal a lot of deals and bringing investors and pooling it together to buy even larger assets.
1: Okay, so you're you're one of these guys that is W two guy full time still. You did some active income or active investing in in single families. You did some passive investing. And now you're actually shifting to active where you're the guy buying the apartment you're the guy pulling investor capital um so i i'm sure you just read a book or listened to a podcast or two and you had all of the expertise and education and training that you needed to do that right
0: there's a lot more to it i think yes but <laughs> okay. that was the start like anybody has right like that's sure. the idea is you get hooked and you read one book and you read a second book and you're like wow this is this is really possible. And you, you can see that you get your time back with the multifamily space. So on the weekends, instead of, you know, renovating, painting houses, tearing walls down, building walls, moving kitchen, kitchen plumbing, all of that. We can be having dinners with investors or going out looking at properties, kind of touring the area. It's just a different level of engagement that's needed. And those projects are larger so you can split the shares with everybody else. So it's more of a team sport instead of you doing everything on your own and being your own handyman. I actually sold my pickup truck. No more tools, I'm actually an investor now, so we're not gonna be fixing and flipping.
1: Sold the pickup truck and bought some more, very stylish suits. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. always
0: always have a jacket on, that's for sure. (laughs) I love it, I
1: love it, yeah. And for the listeners that don't know Dwayne personally, Dwayne is probably the sharpest dressed man that I know, and he pairs it very well with, like one of the sharpest beards I think I've ever seen as well. So so kudos to you. Yes. Um, Well, very good. So now I know when we get into the space, you hear a lot of people talk about um, and you mentioned it like this is a team sport. Everybody has their own lane. They stay in their lane. They do what they do best. What is your superpower in this space? Like what what is it that you're bringing or your expertise that you're bringing to the table for these partnerships?
0: It's a great question. Currently what we're bringing are the processes and the marketing angle that we have. So being a technology expert and doing that nine to five and doing that for many years for the company that I work for, I've been able to bring that to these other apartment opportunities because at the end of the day, an apartment's just a business everybody overlooks that. I can't count how many times like they treat real estate different than they would a normal business. But you need to market your property. You need to make sure that your tenants are happy. You need to make sure you have processes for onboarding somebody and making sure you have processes to submit tickets if you have any maintenance issues and things like that. So we help out with the process side. And then we also partner with other people that might have already done the acquisition process. And then we we gather general part, or we gather LPs, partners, and we invest, we kind of bring the capital to projects. So we have a large network of syndicators and we're able to go and pick the best deal that we think would benefit our investors. And then we show that, kind of share those opportunities with our investors and bring capital to the deal. So we, a little bit of the asset management and then the uh, capital raising aspect of it as well.
1: Okay, and I I think that's um, a somewhat unique uh, benefit that you're bringing to the table compared to a lot of other folks in the in the space can you talk about that network and that community that you're involved with and and some of the benefits of being involved in a, a network like that
0: yeah i'm a part of multiple masterminds so when i when i go in I, we go all the way hardcore and jump in the deep end because that's where we believe we have the most symbiotic relationships where we're all working together and at that level kind of where the experts are they're the type of people that are always looking for somebody else to fill a gap or be a a single person on a team instead of trying to run every individual piece of the of the whole operation themselves they're looking to scale and looking for those partnerships so i'm in multiple masterminds and different masterminds have different strengths and weaknesses a lot of them are in the education space. So that's where we learn a lot about how to do it and how to make sure that you're avoiding pitfalls from experts that might have 20 years experience. So we'll pay for that expertise in that education upfront. We've done that. I've paid for multiple four-year degrees in multifamily at this point, but it has kind of shrunk in that time that we need to expedite for our investors. So we are able to bring those deals. And what we do now is, partner with people in those groups really experienced operators to make sure that we're doing deals that are invest that benefit our investors the most i love it
1: i love it okay so so with that and, and i i know that as well i've seen you at a number of these events um we kind of hang around some some of the similar crowds um very well respected amongst your peers in this space um in in fact like people reference the beard and the sharp dressed guy is, <laughs> Like how how you're referenced, Um, which which is kind of neat. I mean, you've certainly built a brand for yourself around that. And I think that's important in this space as well, because brand, ultimately, you and I both working for very large Fortune 100, Fortune 200 companies, brand is a very important aspect to the overall business structure. So I think you've done an excellent job with that. And I'm sure... You get a ton of value from that as well.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's what we try and carry through into the projects that we're working on, right? So when you're looking at an apartment syndication or an apartment community, it's next to other apartment communities. How do you make your apartment community stand out? Did you recently paint it? Do you have fresh flyers? Do you know the flowers? Also very important. I mean, a lot of times we look at curb appeal curb works on a single family house on a restaurant or a multifamily property it's like would i live there could i see myself making this a home so we take that level of expertise and finesse that we that i do for my brand as well so that it stands out and it really helps the residents overall because they know it's a nice place to live love it yeah very good yeah. well let's um
1: let's kind of dig into some of the nuts and bolts of this you 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 mentioned that you have access to a lot of different deals, a lot of different operators. You see a lot of deals. Um, what are some of the pitfalls that maybe new investors should look for? Or what are good ways that they can start that vetting process um, to find the right operators and the right deals?
0: I think first, when you're a new person looking to get into this space, you have to stop and take a, take a breath and really be introspective about what you're trying to get out of it. Why am I investing this money? Really like ask the five whys. Keep asking yourself why. Everybody wants more money. I think that's good. But is it quick because you want to replace your salary? You're looking to replace your paycheck? That might be a different type of opportunity. Are you looking to build your wealth? you you're you love your job you might be a doctor and you're getting a good paycheck and you really are passionate about it but you know you want to set yourself up your family up for success long term and that's more the wealth building strategy there would be a potential opportunity for that or you could be on the other side already have a good amount of money and have a high net worth and you're looking to make sure that you're beating inflation or potentially hedging yourself against a bank collapse that has happened recently but putting it in an asset that's going to appreciate over time would be uh, stabilizing your risk that might be different. And you also have tax benefits from that that are different from other investments. So initially if you, zero in on your why that will help you pick the right opportunity. Is it a cash flow opportunity? Are you looking for the appreciation or are you looking for something that has less cash flow and then is more stable long term? Maybe a newer build property or something like that might be a good solution for you. So really understanding that and then you can pick the opportunity and the investors associated with that.
1: I love it. It's it's so important and it is not talked about enough that you're and and I did not even know those questions to ask when I first got started. And I invested in a handful of deals before I even knew if I was a growth investor, or a cash flow investor. And I will tell you, if you end up in a position where you end up getting laid off from a position, or um, for some reason, you're without income for a while, and you've been what you call a growth investor, and now all of a sudden, you're a cash flow investor, you can't say, Give me all of my money back because I want to put it into deals that are going to give me cash flow now. So it's important to identify your your goals, your targets, your personal needs and whys before you start selecting operators, asset classes, or even markets for that matter. So really, really good point. So after an investor identifies their why and understands if their growth, cash flow, or hybrid, what what do you generally suggest to the investor at that point
0: the next step is to really start actively pursuing opportunities and checking with different types of operators and understanding really getting educated on the space we need to be sophisticated about what we're investing in if you don't understand it do not invest in it i do not know why people are buying NFTs, for example, or like really cool artwork, I just don't get it. So I don't invest in that space. Some people really understand that and have a reason for it. And I think that's fine. But once you're educated about it, then you can start to pick apart the differences between investment A and investment B. And potentially, it's because they're investing in an A class property or a B class property. Even knowing the differences, when you have that conversation, you're more educated, and you'll know what questions to ask to avoid some of the risks associated with it. I've never seen a deal presented that said, this is a bad deal, we're gonna lose money on it, right? But some of them are out there and it might not be exactly what you're looking for. So knowing those pitfalls, being educated about the process is always really helpful. So I suggest listening to podcasts like this or other different forums where you can get that education and hear all about the different areas.
1: You know, it, it's interesting. I joke at times where I feel like there was probably, there was an investor deck and webinar that was sold for 1999 that said, double your money in five years, we're gonna give you 5% cash on cash and 16 and, uh, to 17% IRR. And everybody took that same thing and laid it on their deals. And that's what they're providing to everybody. So I think it's really important as you're a new investor or even a, a, uh, an experienced investor, as you start getting these decks, to really start to dig into the assumptions that are being used for the underwriting and to present those numbers. And as a new investor, you might not even know what assumptions to start looking for. So I'm curious, when you're looking at a deal, what do you like to dig into To get a better understanding of what's driving those numbers
0: something that we always look at on every deal is more the location so again going back to like the fundamentals of real estate location 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 right it works all across every different asset class are there enough people to support this more jobs moving into the market more jobs actually indicate that people will want to come there Um, when you're seeing the growth and migration, you'll know that there is a need for housing. And then you can look at the next step, which is the association with how much it actually costs the affordability gap for a house, and then how much it takes to rent. So is this is this location more a renter based because they need that because they can't afford housing and need to rent? Or is it they're buying a lot of houses, housing is pretty cheap, and they don't actually need to rent. So that's a good indicator of something and then based on how many people are moving to the market what the job growth looks like you can see what the rent increases it's again it goes back to supply and demand another business fundamental is how many people will increase do we have enough supply for it or are we oversupplied so that's something that is always really helpful to keep an eye on and then on top of that how many units are coming online again a a building supply and demand imbalance if there are a lot of new units that's great. Everybody loves to live in a new apartment complex. Nobody else has touched it. But does that hurt if you have other assets in that area and you can't get quite the increase in rent that you're thinking of in years three, four, and five? I love it.
1: Yeah. So you you talked a lot about basically market vetting to determine what is the best market to be in. I like that you talked about that affordability gap. And for those that are listening that might not know what that is, there are... And correct me if I'm wrong, Dwayne. you might know the newer numbers, but I saw that specifically in some of the Sunbelt markets, there's like an $800 to $1,000 difference between the cost of ownership and the cost of renting. And as that gap increases, that makes it more appealing to rent than it would to purchase a house. So with the interest rates fluctuating as they have, that gap is actually growing now which gives the operator of apartments, the ability to continue to raise in rates um, over time uh, with that gap, not impacting their ability to fill their units. So that's a really, really good point. And not not something that I think the average investor would know to even ask or look at. So yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up.
0: And on top of that, it, it's market by market dependent. So you mentioned the Sunbelt States. And uh, if you look at a map of the United States, it's You know arizona all the way over to georgia you know texas included and florida and even florida to georgia to alabama and texas they're all different and they all have different sub markets within there so it's interesting to know those as well so i think it's important not to just say texas because there's a lot of differences in texas as opposed to like oh i'm in this sub market of dallas or houston so it it could be definitely fluctuate from place to place
1: Okay, so so let's say you decide on a market. You've done your analysis, and I think Neil Bawa does a really really good job of kind of walking the investor through an analysis process to really hone in on good markets for population, demographics, economics, those types of things. Um, but let's say you've you've decided on a market. You know you're going to invest in, let's say DFW as an example, and you've got five deals sitting on your desk, like. If you've got 50 grand that you're going to place in a deal in the next 30 days, what are you doing to kind of vet those five different operators and those five different deals?
0: That's a really good question. Again, it goes back to your why. So we'd want to see the differences of how those deals are projected to perform. So you want to see, are they more cash flow centric? Are they more appreciation based? If they're all equally the same, they're your typical B class value add property. The next place to really look is the operator. And that's the next step is checking track record with everybody. How many deals have gone full cycle? How many units do they currently operate? I know a lot of people go after the groups that have a lot of deals, a lot of doors. You're like, oh, I've got 3000 units. That's great. In this economy, you might want to check what their net worth and liquidity requirements are because if there are issues on the other properties, does that bring this current new deal under question? Will they have issues kind of performing on this one as well? I know they're separate, but if it's one single entity that's running multiple projects, there could be issues with that. So you want to make sure that you're comfortable with them. One real easy test is to reach out just send them an email, call them, ask them what's going on and see how quickly they respond. Who on their team is actually responding? Because that'll show you how engaged they are with their community. Some, again, are you one that's very special to them? Or are you just a number? And is that okay? Do you want to just give your money? You know, they have a great track record and everything's going well, and they're doing a really good job. That happens a lot. But knowing that somebody's really looking out for your best interest. It doesn't mean if you have smaller amount of units that you're not individually managing that, and you know every one of the investors on your team at that point. So you're you're more hyper-focused on the investor because you have the opportunity to be, at that point, more of a boutique experience. I
1: love it. I, th- I think that's such a good point that just because they're bigger does not mean that they're better. Um, <clears throat> and quite often it can be the opposite of that. and I had, an, I had an example where I had X amount of dollars that I wanted to invest in one of those big players. And I reached out three times saying, essentially, I would just like to talk with you very briefly before I invest in one of your deals. And they never returned my calls, never returned my emails or anything. So if on the front end, when I'm trying to give them my money, they're not responsive imagine what it's going to be like if i'm asking questions or if i'm concerned about something that's going on with my investment so yeah Yeah, that's such a good point thank you Yeah. yeah all right well you know i'm looking at the clock here we're already at 30 minutes um i think i just need to change the format of the podcast and make these hour or two hour long podcasts but um unfortunately we're not there today so i do want to actually jump in real quickly before we get into my final questions you you've launched or you're about to launch or actually by the time we air this you will have launched your new podcast called bamf podcast which is hard it doesn't roll off the lips perfectly um but i think i'd love for you to kind of walk the audience through what that stands for what it means and what you're gonna be bringing.
0: I love that, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Currently, I host a monthly meetup in Scottsdale, Arizona. We talk all about multifamily and the benefits of it and educating people. And I've had a lot of requests to broaden the horizon there and give more opportunity for everybody. So BAMF podcast is a badass multifamily podcast. And we're going to be talking about different people who are amazing, who have done really badass things in their life, and their mindset and their trajectory. And sometimes they've invested in real estate themselves. And other times, We're going to be talking about how to bring those mindsets over into the multifamily space and really go and crush it. So we're gonna have people from operators that have grown their syndications to thousands of doors and billions of dollars under management to snowboarders and other business entrepreneurs that are really killing it at what they're good at and how to understand and learn from all types of things. Because at the end of the day, what I've loved about the multifamily space is it's a business like it's real estate, but it all the business fundamentals are at play. We have profit and loss statements. We're worried about our income and our expenses. And how can we really translate business understanding into real estate and just love living our lives?
1: And who better to be the host of the Badass Multifamily uh, podcast than yourself? Because you are a badass guy who has done some pretty badass things too, since I've known you in the last year or two. So I'm super excited to start listening to that, add it to my favorites and subscribe and like, and all that other stuff. So yeah, yeah, congratulations and good luck. I think that's going to be amazing. So, um, well, let's do this then. I do have a handful of questions I'd like to ask everybody before we wrap up the podcast. So is there any particular um, education resources that you like, or you would suggest to the new passive investor?
0: From a new passive investor standpoint, I think bigger pockets is always a good opportunity, because you can connect with a lot of different people on that in like, there's everybody from all sorts of different asset classes and a lot of education material. So that's a good start. And then from there, once you figure out your why, like we've discussed a few times, then you can hone in, do you want to look more for the storage units or single family or mobile home parks and what that looks like for you. That's a good base understanding. And they have a good podcast as well
1: okay perfect so bigger pockets any particular books that you might suggest to the audience
0: actually one of my favorite books and this isn't real estate related because i'm sure everybody mentions real estate books is extreme ownership by jocko wilnick i love it and just all the principles in there how to kind of own your own destiny and take ownership of where you want to go and how you want to interact with the world that kind of gives that badass vibe as well of like just make it your own. It doesn't have to follow everybody else's track record of doing single family first and being miserable in that space and be like, oh, we need to go and scale. You can start out and scale right away if you listen and and then follow that trajectory on your own.
1: Absolutely. 90% of it is mindset. And I think you mentioned a couple of really good mindset tools throughout this talk too. So um, absolutely. Very good. Okay. I know you've probably got a ton of these, so I'm going to ask for both. Can you tell me a bucket list item that you've recently checked off your list and one that you're hoping to in the near future
0: yeah recent bucket list item was skydiving i had never thought that skydiving was so accessible actually in arizona we have one of the largest jump zones it's about an hour south of phoenix i had a blast i loved it i want to get certified i'm kind of hooked so skydiving was my last one that I checked off earlier than anticipated and then my next bucket list item I'm going to be running my first marathon in Hawaii in September. So trying to put in some good numbers for that and getting the training in in the hot Arizona sun so I'll be prepared in Hawaii.
1: Okay, so you you'll get to do like some 20 milers here in the coolest time of the year in Arizona. That'll be I have a, a lot 20 of miler
0: scheduled in Payson in April. Yeah good for you. Yeah. Good plan
1: to go up to Basin to do that. Awesome. It's good.
0: Yeah.
1: I did, I did an Ironman. Um, it's, it's a lifetime ago, four or five years ago now. And it was the same thing. It was actually, it was in the spring, fortunately. So all of my buildup time was throughout <laughs> December, January, February. Um, but fortunately it was about a hundred degrees the day that I did the Ironman. So, um, hopefully it's a cool
0: have... spring day in Arizona.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So well, good for you. Congratulations. And it's um I think you can tell a lot about people by their bucket list items. And um neither of those surprised me at all uh that those are on your list. So I'll look forward to hearing about that first marathon. And what a beautiful place to do it yeah. um in Hawaii. Is it which island are you gonna be on?
0: We'll be on Kauai, the jungle island. So we're gonna spend beautiful. some time there and see all the sites and it's the Jurassic Park and the Pirates of the Caribbean Island. So we're gonna have a really good time there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, very good. All right. So lastly, where can our audience find you um, if they want to reach out?
0: Yeah. The audience can go to winklecapital.com. We like to keep it nice and simple. And there we have uh, extra meetups that we're doing or other information about the business, how to connect with other like-minded people in the real estate investing space.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on the show. You brought a, a ton of value and just love your energy and your enthusiasm and your your beard and your and the way you dress, man. I just love everything about you. So thanks so much for being on the show.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: And to our listeners, I will finish this as we always do. Just continue to take, uh, continue to learn more, continue to get educated, get, get excited about this space. And, bef- but like more importantly than anything is actually taking action and investing in your first deal passively. We're so convinced that once you do invest in that first deal passively, you'll continue to come back more and more in the future. So thank you for listening today and uh, we'll look forward to reconnecting another time. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor,
0: and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.